Welcome to The Bid. I'm Larry Fink, founder, chairman, and CEO of BlackRock. As a three-time guest of the podcast, I'm honored and delighted to introduce The Bid's 100th episode. As well as hitting 100 episodes, The Bid also recently hit 1 million downloads. The Bid started in 2018 as a new channel for the firm to reach our investors and provide them with key conversations about the world of finance. I am excited for the next 100 episodes where we will continue the in-depth conversations that make The Bid so unique. On this episode of The Bid, Gargi has a conversation with a prominent personal finance expert, Lauren Simmons, on the topic of financial literacy, something that we at BlackRock firmly believe in. Only 32% of Americans feel confidence of their investing knowledge. And here at the firm, we strive to ensure all our clients of all backgrounds achieve their own financial goals. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode, and if you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe to The Bit, where you can get more episodes like the one you're about to hear today. Welcome to The Bid. I'm your host, Gargi Pal Chaudhry, head of Aisha's Investment Strategy and Markets Coverage. Lauren Simmons is a personal finance expert and former stock trader, as well as being a producer, writer, and the host of her own podcast, Money Moves. Lauren is part of BlackRock's new iShares Future Ballers campaign, where Lauren is taking five college basketball players under her wing to coach them through a financial literacy curriculum. Introducing the iShares Future Ballers. Together, we can all play the financial long game. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. It's so great to have you. How are you? I'm so grateful to be here. I'm doing great. How are you, Gargi? I am well, thank you. I've been so excited to speak to you about the Ballers campaign. The one thing that I was thinking about is the tagline, playing the long game. Tell me a little bit about what that means to you and why did this campaign resonate with you so much? This campaign resonated in so many different ways, especially when it comes to young, new athletes coming into a lot of money, thinking about the broader markets and how everyday retail investors are looking at how to invest for their future. And so the saying goes, and it's what is coined for this campaign is play the long game. Mm -hmm. That is how you want to look at investing. Look at the long term. Don't get too excited about instant returns and instant money. And how can we continue to grow and build our wealth for the long term? especially in these volatile markets, that makes a lot of sense. So as you were doing this campaign, and you talked about young people a little bit ago, what would you want young people generally to learn from this project? I want them, one, to obviously recognize that these players that are getting their contracts are the 1%, mm-hmm. but there is still relevancy there in the sense of how you are investing and looking at your financial future for the long run. So I don't want people to feel intimidated or think that they 
aren't going to be able to learn some of the tools that is developed throughout this campaign. Yeah, let's talk about you a little bit. So as I was researching for the bid, I noticed that you have a degree in genetic science. And I'd love to learn a little bit about how you translated that degree into this amazing career in finance that you've built. And I speak to a lot of women in finance that often ask about what classes they should be taking. And I tend to tell them that it doesn't matter. You learn on the job. Yeah. So I studied genetic counseling and I had a really strong statistical analytical background. There was definitely correlation when I went in to become an equity trader and having to analyze different stocks. But I do believe overall, there are only 32% of people that go into the field in which they majored in. And when we're looking at the Gen Z population overall, they are the largest population that aren't even going to college. They're going directly into entrepreneurship. So when it comes to finances, I don't think to your point, there needs to be a direct correlation. There are definitely books that I could recommend, but to learn in the capital market space, is learning on the job. And even when it comes to your personal finance journey, it is learning in order to be good with money, you have to be bad with money. And hopefully you can make those mistakes earlier on. But having open, transparent conversations about finances and what your journey is, is going to help improve one, your investment journey, but two, your personal finance journey. And on that note, in terms of your journey of personal finance, I would say that some of that relationship with money actually comes from when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. And I know that I am an immigrant in this country. I grew up in India. And so much of how I feel about money today comes from the lessons that my parents taught me about saving and investing and how to think about cash versus the markets. And I'd love to hear from you around some of those same topics. When you were growing up, what were some of the lessons that you learned about money and what were some of the relationships that you or your parents had with money? So my relationship with money, I come from a household where my mom was very good in personal finance, almost too good in the sense of Mm -hmm. she was frugal, but she also saved everything, saved so much so that she didn't really have a balance of just living life and, and experiencing different moments, going on vacation or going out to eat. And as I got older, I realized that there has to be a healthy balance. You don't have to cut back on everything. You don't have to necessarily save everything. So I had to learn how to spend money. And I I recently had an executive coach tell me it's okay to spend money and have some risk involved. That is healthy, right? Let's not avoid having debt. Let's not avoid making investments, but let's do it in a smart, reasonable ways. So I've had to unlearn some of that thinking of if I spend money, then I'm going to be completely out of money. The other thing that I've learned on my personal finance journey is that while my mother was great when it came to personal finances, she didn't invest at all. I had to learn what it meant to invest, what my risk tolerance was, what my ethos was around investing and what I want to invest in. And making sure that I was investing for me and not investing because of something I read on TV, something I read in the news, and just making sure that I was in a solid place to start investing. And a solid place is building that emergency fund, making sure I have all of my revolving debt paid off. And then from there, taking the tools that I learned in the household to to make my investing decisions. 
I love that, Lauren. I have a strong belief that it's mothers of young girls that teach them about investments because it was definitely my mother, who's a doctor, who taught me all about saving well. So let's talk about the sports professionals that you're working with. We'd love to hear if you have worked with sports professionals before or if there were any expectations that you had going into this project. And also, what are you looking forward to the most? So I've not worked with sports professionals before, but I have worked with clients that were younger that came into a lot of money, whether it's working in entertainment, Mm -hmm. music, etc. And there is a lot of correlation from just the conversations that I have with my initial conversations with some of these rookie players that I've been talking to. We have not had our one-on-ones yet, which I'm really excited to dive into that. But what I hope is that I'm a soundboard, that I'm a guidance, that I'm someone that is a trusted voice, that they can ask any and all questions that they have related to finance. And when it comes to the financial industry and seeking financial advisors, many people get intimidated because the person sitting across from them doesn't look like them whether it's lack of representation, whether it's a young woman or just women in general. And sometimes when you feel like you don't have a seat at the table or the person that you're talking to relates to you, there can be an intimidation factor. And everything that I do is all about giving that accessibility, giving people a seat at the table, making sure that they're seen, they're heard, that they're not being talked down to, and that they feel comfortable asking all the questions that they want. Personal experience coming onto the trading floor when I worked at the New York Stock Exchange, I did feel that level of intimidation of working with 250 men and feeling like my financial literacy wasn't on par with theirs. But what I learned was it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to ask any and all questions. There is no such thing as a dumb question, especially when it comes to finance. And honestly, I'd rather ask a dumb question and be smart with my finances than not ask the question at all. But I'm curious, Gargi, did you have that same experience working in finance? Sure. So I grew up on the bond trading floor at Merrill Lynch. I started my career in 2001. So as you can imagine, not very many women, certainly not very many women of color, certainly not very many women who speak with an accent. But my experience was actually wonderful. I had people that I could ask questions to. Of course, I felt out of place. I remember I felt so out of place, probably even a couple of years where I felt very different. And I didn't have the confidence then that I do now where I could say different is fine. Now you and I can say that you can be different and that's our advantage. That's our edge. 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Thankfully, I think if you walk into a bond trading floor now, I think it looks slightly different. I hope (laughs) not not hugely, but slightly. And hopefully with women like you, there is a lot of representation. And what you said earlier really resonated with me. You can't be what you can't see. So having you there and especially having women investors, showing women and people of color that you too can invest your money. So thank you for doing all the work that you're doing and being visible. It's so meaningful. I'd love to talk a little bit about the curriculum that you're designing for these players, the philosophy that you're perhaps approaching it with and how the relationship that you're building with them is expected to grow. We actually touched on this a little bit earlier, Mm. but I'm starting with the foundation of what is your relationship with money? 
because it is very indicative to how you look at finances and how you are going to have different spending and investing habits. And I think so often is we jump right into, okay, these are different vehicles that you can put your money into. This is what you can do for the long term. And that goes over people's head and isn't a connecting point if you don't understand how they are operating the way that they are operating. And regardless if the players or just anyone that is listening to this conversation today has a financial literacy background or not, just know that your relationship with money is going to follow you throughout your entire life. And your relationship with money is going to continue to change and how you look at investing and saving and et cetera is going to change with different life stages. Who I was at 18 going into college and who I was at 21 starting a job, making no money basically. And then who I am now making six figures plus it, the, the milestones are going to be different. I'm a little bit older. And so I'm hoping with these players, they can at least articulate what are some of their visions that they have as far as how they're thinking about growing their money. And then also recognizing that they can change the mindset of how they've been raised. So I'm really doing it from a very holistic psychological standpoint and then growing into the conversation of money. And again, understanding what their risk tolerance is and how we can look at investing the $100,000 that they've been given. But the biggest thing is that I want them to feel empowered and I want them to stand by the decisions that they make. One of the best lessons I've learned while working at the New York Stock Exchange is that you had to make decisions in microseconds when being an equity trader. And whatever decision you made, you had to be firm in that decision. There was no hiding behind someone. There was no making excuses. And because I learned that so early on, every decision that I make, especially with my personal finance and investing journey, I stand by it. And maybe it is a bad decision. That is okay. There is no bad or good. It's the decision that you felt was right for you and whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. And so I want these players to feel empowered by the decisions that they make. And regardless of what happens, feeling good that they made those decisions because they were able to come up with those decisions. I think you make an important point. The decision is your decision and sort of owning it. I think it's very similar when you're trading or when you're managing risk as an investor, you have to own your decision and you have to know that there are consequences to the decision and that's okay. And I love that you're teaching them that at this juncture. So talking about decision-making, especially for the players, given their age and the particular career that they're in, which is obviously different for the one that you and I have had as traders and investors, are there certain issues that come up? I suppose the one that immediately comes to mind is injury and perhaps a shorter time frame of their careers. Is there something to think about there? You touched right on it. With athletes in general, their peak salary is going to happen a lot younger than how an everyday person that is working in the typical workforce, you continue to scale on a yearly basis, you keep growing, you keep building towards your retirement. And there are definitely similarities there, but their money is going to peak unless they decide to do other business ventures and continue to grow and develop the more business side of their brand. So with that in mind, they have to be very intentional and very strategic in what they are thinking about doing with their finances in 
the long run and not just get so excited about, oh, I have so much money right now because that's only today. That could be next year. That could be even five years. But when we talk about how long we are living on this earth, it's there. It's relatively a very small percentage of the time that they will be alive and they need to be making those long term decisions as early as possible. That makes complete sense. And we're talking about the athletes a lot because, of course, it's super exciting. But everyone listening to this podcast isn't an athlete. So what are some of the teachings that you have and spread it across people of all ages? What should they be learning? An investment 101, if you will. So, of course, the standard advice that everyone always gets is following the 50-30-20 rule. Following the 50-30-20 rule is a great foundation, right? 50% is going to go to your everyday expenses. 30% is going to go to your future. And 20% is going to go towards your savings. Now that 30-20 can be flipped. But with that, out of the 30 or 20%, that is going to go towards your investing. And that's a great foundation. I think that those numbers will continue to change as you will get into your different life stages. But with that, the other important thing is making sure that you have credible voices around you so that you can ask and articulate any and all questions. And the main thing is making sure that you don't just have one voice. When you have one voice, you're usually following that one ideology, which may not be a direct reflection on how you want to invest or what your financial decisions are. So I do think being able to source different voices in the space, asking questions, getting different ideologies, and then putting those together, figuring out what works for you, your ethos, your risk tolerance, and going from there. This is advice that I would tell someone who is making a million to someone who's not making any money at all. Love that, Lauren. I'll just add a couple of things. And these are from conversations that I've had with friends and family that often come up. And the one thing that people ask is around, oh, how much money do I need to have to start investing? I'm sure you come across that too. And I'd say that no amount of money is too small to start investing. There's so many ways to invest now at such cost-efficient ways. And number two, I don't think you need to know everything about everything to start your investment journey. I think people often get overwhelmed because they're like, oh, but I don't know about the earnings report and I don't know about CPI and I don't know about the Fed. It doesn't matter. You can start small. You can start in a diversified manner and take little steps and then you can think about asset allocation later. Just remain remaining diversified in the beginning instead of putting all your eggs in a single basket, I think is one thing that I often tell friends and family. And I think that that's really important, especially when you're just starting out, because you get to figure out what kind of investor you are. And I think as you are going on your journey and you understand what your risk tolerance is, what type of investor you are, the better you can shape yourself to maybe more specific vehicles. But I think the more diversified you are, to your point, the better. I know that there's been so much concern recently with the volatility in the markets or with mortgage prices going up. And of course, with inflation being at four decade highs, I guess when people are worried about some of these things, such as not being able to buy a home because home affordability has moved meaningfully with mortgage rates or things like Social Security not being around. How do you talk to them about ways of building 
wealth and the traditional manners that we had perhaps thought about earlier with some of those perhaps not being as in reach? To answer your question, when it comes to real estate, there's still ways to be able to buy real estate without directly buying real estate. But again, take your time to do your due diligence. There are definitely barriers of entry into all these different vehicles and and continuing to be able to diversify your money. The accessibility is there, especially when we have the technology and just different avenues to be able to do things. I wouldn't get too narrow focus on I'm not able to to purchase a home. Of course, that's the American dream. Everyone wants to do that, but you can still be part of real estate just in different ways. And get dividends and passive income, which is a plus. So that is where asking the questions comes into mind. But I think let's not sugarcoat it. The next year or two is going to be a little tough, right? Inflation is at its all-time high and the cost of living has gone up. But there are cycles in the financial market. There is cycles in the economy. And if you can breathe through this, do all the smart strategic decisions, especially when we talk about playing the long game. I like that. Talk to us a little bit about what you see to be the biggest barriers for financial literacies, especially to women and to people of color who perhaps don't have access or formal education on financial literacy as many others do. What I am learning now, have worked a few years in, in finance, is that it's not just minorities and women that don't have that financial literacy acumen. I'm learning that the conversation around money just doesn't happen overall. And I think we can be more empowered by having those conversations. And this can open up a floodgate of a lot of things, but having the conversations on what is proper salary, how do I budget? How do I save? Uh, Knowing how much you have to pay in taxes at the end of the year. The more that you can start having those conversations, especially the earlier on, the better it is down the road when you get through those different milestones and you don't have to figure it out right on the spot. Financial literacy isn't about reading the best book or reading the best newspaper. It is just about having the open conversation around money. And so much in society, money is so taboo that we don't even have the conversation. I am grateful that I was raised in a household where my mom had very transparent conversations with me about how much money she made, what her actual job was, how she was saving and budgeting her money. And I think it always starts in the household. If parents could have conversations with their children around that, the better it is. And there's no shame in having open, transparent conversations about what your salary is. I think the more that you can have those conversations, then when those kids turn into adults, they know how to strive for more later on in life. Yeah, fully agree. I actually always talk to my team about this and I tell them how important it is to have those conversations about expectations, about pay. No salary at the end of the year should come as a surprise ever. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you are having conversations about your expectations of compensation. You talked a little bit about books, and I'd love to ask you, what are you reading these days? Anything on top of your playlist and anything that you're watching that you'd like to share with us? Just in general or finance related? (laughs) Both. I always have CNBC, Bloomberg, all the financial channels in the background. This is the time for anyone that's listening. If you want to understand how markets move, 
how the economy is going, this is the time to do it. This is the time to learn because the market is so volatile. You get to learn in real time and understand why the market is moving the way that it is and forecast for the future. And I think that that will prepare you for the next recession 10 plus years down the road and what that looks like. There's so much room to learn when the market is as volatile as it is. So that is a plus side to that. When I just want to unwind and relax, streaming services have been really great. We're talking about basketball, but I really love the show Winning Time on HBO Max. I don't know if you all have watched it, but it is incredible. I love just relaxing on a Sunday night watching that. And outside of that, I I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I'm curious, what do you watch, Gargi? I'd say that one of my goals for 2022 is to watch less TV and read more books. So I'm trying to get to 50 books by the end of the year. So I am currently reading some of my beach reads. I just finished Wahala by Nikki May. It's a fun book about four British Nigerian women. So that was a fun beach read. I tend to never read finance books because I read so much for work when it comes to the markets. But I do consume financial literacy via podcasts. So Bloomberg Surveillance is my favorite. And of course, The Bid. Lauren, I'd love to hear who are some of your role models within the financial space or even more broadly, who are some people that you've looked up to? In the financial space, a great role model. And I just met her for the first time was Arlen Hamilton. She is an African-American woman in the VC space, and she is just doing phenomenal things. And again, back to representation, seeing a woman be able to raise so much capital and assets under management, she's absolutely phenomenal and inspires me to think beyond my limits of what I want to do for my career and my future. And then outside of that, I really am inspired by my family, my mom and my brother. I have a disabled brother, and he has this optimistic mindset that just empowers me to just move forward every single day to never use excuse as a reason why I can't do something because he doesn't use any excuses. And he is really the passion and the motivation to why I do everything that I do today. And then of course, I have a younger sister who inspires me. She keeps me in the know of what this world is that we're in, especially with her being 19. And I just (laughs) feel like I'm so detached, but she she keeps me young. And I love looking at the world through her eyes as well. It's nice to have a different perspective and what this next generation is thinking about going forward. That's awesome. I'm sure you're teaching them all about investing and they're going to be super investors in no time. Lauren, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. I learned so much and it was such a pleasure meeting you. It was so amazing meeting you as well. I'm so grateful that we had this conversation and I'm excited for everyone to hear these golden little nuggets that we have to share. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bed. On our next episode, Mark Weedman will be back with another episode from the miniseries, The Real Leaders of Net Zero, where he's interviewing CEOs who are leading the private sector through sustainable business practices and towards a net zero future. Make sure you subscribe to The Bid wherever you get your podcasts. This 
This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock and not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer, solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the reader. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K. and non-European economic area (EEA) countries, this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management (UK Limited), authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered Office 12, Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone: plus four four zero two zero seven seven four three three zero zero zero. Registered in England and Wales. Number zero two zero two zero three nine four. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. Please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European economic area, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands BB. Is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Market. Registered Office: Amstelplein one one zero nine six HA Amsterdam. Telephone: zero two zero five four nine five two zero zero. Telephone: three one two zero five four nine five two zero zero. Trade registered number one seven zero six eight three one one. Free protection. Telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this document is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited. Company registration number two zero 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 one zero one four three N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities or Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited ABN one three zero zero six one six five nine seven five AFSL two three five two three BINAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, nor an offer or a solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any such shares be offered or sold to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any securities regulator in any Latin American country and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained here in the provision of investment management and investment advisory services as a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward slash MX. Copyright 2022 BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Incorporated. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.